We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Shining on May 23rd, 1980. 70th birthday of the great Scatman Crothers, who would be turning 110 if he were around today. It came out on his birthday? It came out on his birthday. Oh, yeah. well, that's so sweet. Especially after we watched the footage of how much he loved working on this movie. Yeah, it's a nice little birthday gift for him. Uh, this was written by Stanley Kubrick and Diane Johnson based on a novel by Stephen King, directed by Stanley Kubrick, and released by Warner Brothers. Have you read the novel? I have. How does it compare to the novel? I read the novel before I saw the movie the first time. Hmm. And so... Like most of America, I did not like this movie the first time I saw it because it was so different from the book that I was like, oh, what? He totally screwed it up. And now rewatching it, I'm like, oh, no, this is still a great movie. And the book actually has more problems than the movie does. But I, I like the book. And the, the TV movie is basically the story of the book. But mm-hmm. So five years after Barry Lyndon, Kubrick decided that he was going to take a shot at adapting a horror novel. And according to the Hollywood legend, Kubrick locked himself in his office with a pile of horror novels, and his secretary would hear him throw books at the wall of his office as he gave up on each one. After a longer-than-usual gap between thuds, she entered the office to find him reading Stephen King's The Shining. During the casting process, Nicholson was always Kubrick's first choice, but other actors that were considered for the role were De Niro, Robin Williams, and Harrison Ford. This was Nicholson's fourth film with Scatman Crothers. After King of Marvin Gardens, The Fortune... Uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and then this the audition process for danny spanned five thousand prospective children kubrick was looking for a kid with an accent that fell between nicholson and duval's speech patterns because that's how he does things i mean i feel like you're lucky to get a kid that could just act at all do yeah do what you Mm -hmm. ask them to do on a regular basis and I, I don't even think that he talks enough in this movie for you to be like, oh, he sounds like a mix of Shelley Duvall and Jack Nicholson. But, yeah. but also but, you have two people who speak both very unusually and very differently. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Danny Lloyd apparently came up with the talking finger gesture on his own during the audition process. Kubrick initially wanted Carrie Guffey from Close Encounters to play the part, but his parents refused, um, which I would have to assume they regret now, maybe. Um, at the very least, I would be disappointed if I were him that I were kept out of this movie. I guess we'd have to ask Danny Lloyd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they might not. I mean, this kid was probably exposed to things that you wouldn't want your, I don't know, how old was he, a six-year-old exposed to at the time? I don't know. Well, I, uh, according to what I read, I don't know if I'm stepping on your toes here, Pat, was that they they shielded him from as much as possible. Right. He didn't know it was a horror film, so he never saw any blood or anything like that. He He thought it was a drama. He thought it was just a family drama. And he yeah. actually didn't see the movie until he was 17. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, still, there's scenes where he gets, you know, yelled at by Jack Nicholson. And that is terrifying. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Jack Nicholson yelling at me as a grown man would be terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I would be <laughs> yes, in tears. <laughs> Lloyd the bartender was originally supposed to be played by Harry Dean Stanton, but he was unfortunately too busy shooting Alien, which would have been neat to have him here. 
Although I do kind of like it being someone that I didn't necessarily recognize. Yeah. The hotel interior sets were constructed at Elstree Studios in England and based on the Awani Hotel in Yosemite National Park. This included a full-size replica of the hotel built indoors for a few fake exteriors, specifically where snow is piled up against the side of the building. Snow from the Hoth set was reused for these sequences. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I love it. Shooting went so long that Reds and Raiders of the Lost Ark both had to reschedule their shooting at Elstree uh, because every single stage was in use at the studio. Well, I could imagine. I mean, those sets are enormous. They're huge. They're absolutely enormous, and they seem like... They were built in such a way, and I, I, I assume because they needed to do these really long sweeping shots, they're like one continuous huge set, as if it were actually the hotel. The yeah. hallways connect to all the rooms that you would expect them to connect to. And that whole massive lobby with the with the windows on the wall is all one contiguous set. Yeah, that's shocking that that's an interior. I mean, it's just, it, it shows you how well it's shot. That yeah. That... The exteriors are actually the Timberline Lodge on mount hood in oregon but they're only featured i think in the very beginning and end of the film most of it is is those interiors and the fake exterior in the book the overlook was based on the stanley hotel in estes park colorado the pages and pages of typewriter gibberish were translated into similar phrases in other languages for each foreign language version of the film i'd hate to have to be the pa that typed all those out it was uh stanley's secretary did all of it jeez um but uh, yeah a lot of typing i don't know if she did it for every language but uh the door that jack axes down is obviously a real door because they tried a fake door and it just basically exploded when he hit it with the axe um so and he used to be a volunteer firefighter so they had to put in a real door because he was strong enough to punch through it but that's terrifying because like she is actually on the other side of this door that he is axing down right but she's not leaning against the door she's actually leaning against the bathroom wall further back yeah but when you're hitting an actual wooden door with an axe splinters are gonna fly pieces of wood are coming out at you like that's that's scary yeah you're gonna need uh that robot from saturn 3 to come and get the splinter out of your eye what was his name Hector. 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 Yeah. Said at the same time, maybe even a little bit faster. <laughs> <laughs> Kubrick did not get the Here's Johnny reference and nearly used another take because uh, he was not living in America at the time. And uh, <laughs> So he used the, you didn't use the David Letterman take? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Conan um, O'Brien! <laughs> <laughs> what? Conan O'Brien wasn't on. Carson included the clip at the beginning of his 1980 anniversary special. Uh, so like when the show would normally have started it just cut to that scene of jack nicholson swinging an axe into a door and people are like why is the shining suddenly on that movie just came out and then he says here's johnny and then it freeze frames and then faded into the show um and it, it was very well received uh during production kubrick screened david lynch's eraser head for the cast and crew to inform the mood he was going for the Shining is one of the first films to utilize a Steadicam, so early, in fact, that Garrett Brown, who invented it, was the operator of the Steadicam on set because he had the most hours experience with it. I was absolutely blown away by these shots. I mean, I I pointed them out to you when we were watching them, that I'm just yeah. like, I, I know how they make these movies, and I don't know how they got these shots so good. It's just, it blows me away. They're running through these long hallways, and everything in this movie is so beautifully, like, center framed and symmetrical so like the the action is always like taking place right in the middle and everything on both sides is you know is 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 symmetrical and they maintain that on these long shots where you're going over 
carpeting and back onto hardwood floors and through these hallways and it's just it's so beautifully smooth and well framed the entire time it blows me away yeah it's really incredible what they accomplished with it and actually garrett brown was really ecstatic at this use of the steadicam because prior to this i think they used it on rocky and a couple other movies but it was mostly like when a character's running upstairs really fast or like an action sequence where the camera's being jostled around and they wanted it to be a little bit steadier but nobody was using it to to actually affect the feel of the scene Oh, it completely it was, informs it was, the mood here. Exactly. And and he really liked that this was making use of it in a creative way instead of just like to solve the problem of the image being shaky. Yeah, this this definitely gives you a very eerie POV feel yeah. that that I I guess you didn't have in a movie before. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and you didn't you say that they used the some sort of steady cam on the airplane shots too? Because I was blown away at how steady the um, the opening shot is. Yeah, when uh, they're moving over the lake, they're going. Yeah, they're going over the lake. I'm like, how did they get this yeah, back it's, then? It's really cool, and it's like a fisheye lens too. So you're like, it's like the landscape is stretching out toward you as it's flying over it. It's very cool, and uh, I think the score with the camera work affects it a lot. Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind wrote and performed a full electronic score for the film, but Stanley Kubrick discarded most of it and used the soundtrack of largely classical music. Only their adaptation of Deus Array, the the opening song as you see the Volkswagen bug driving through the hills during the opening credits, uh, and the music during the drive to the hotel uh, with all the family in the car, um, and a few other brief moments, such as Halloran's plane trip, survived to the final version. Carlos and Elkind said that the film was a little on the long side, and there were great gobs of scenes that never made it into the film. There was a whole strange and mystical scene in which Jack Nicholson discovers objects that have been arranged in his working space in the ballroom, with arrows and things. He walks down and he thinks he hears a voice, and a ghost throws a ball back to him, which we saw earlier this year in The Changeling. Mm-hmm. None of that made it into the final film. She says, we scored a lot of those. We didn't know what was going to be used for sure. Stephen King has said that this is the only adaptation of his work that he remembers hating, which is unfortunate, but I understand. It was not generally well received at the time and actually garnered two Razzie nominations for Stanley Kubrick and Shelley Duvall. Neither that, one, obviously. That is shocking. It's it's mind-blowing. Yeah. Absolutely. I was like quickly like as you were about to get to the awards i'm like oh did it you know i'm googling did it win any academy awards was it nominated it wasn't even nominated it wasn't even nominated and it got except for the razzies of, yeah. of people who i think were the most deserving on this film of winning an actual award yeah and uh scatman actually took home a saturn award for supporting actor but yeah no nobody in this got anything at the oscars for it what's a saturn award it's a, it's like sci-fi, a sci-fi award, award. Mm. but it, it's it's not for being bad so that's good yeah and uh, it's like not even cinematography like again using brand new equipment and all these amazing shots yeah and not even a cinematography nomination and it didn't make good money either like the, the critical response when it first came out was horrendous opening weekend it lost to the gong show movie oh god yeah which cost like ten thousand dollars i don't know like nothing yeah. and uh and you know word of mouth eventually built it up and obviously it's achieved a cult status since then but um i think this movie must have just been really ahead of its time maybe yeah it's obviously made a huge dent in the pop culture world with several simpsons episodes parodying the film most directly in the first part of the fifth treehouse of horror episode called the shinning which is phenomenal 
Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, we we rewatched it after we watched the movie, or actually while we were paused in the middle of the movie, and uh, it's just great how they they build all the same scenes from the movie and add all these jokes to it. I, Don't be reading my mind between four and five. That's Willie's time. Willie's time. See, I think that, so that was like the sixth season of the show. And I, I know that The Simpsons, at least for us, is incredibly quotable. And I'm like, I probably haven't seen that 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 episode since it came out until we rewatched it. But I'm like, I could have quoted so many lines from that <laughs> yeah. episode. No beer and no TV makes Homer something, something. Go crazy? Don't mind if I do. <laughs> This typewriter typewriter will be a window into his subconscious. Feeling fine. (laughs) Because the film leaves so much open to interpretation, there is a documentary called Room 237 that was released in 2012 outlining some of the more popular fan theories as to the underlying intentions of the filmmakers, ranging from the cultural assimilation of Native Americans to child abuse, to minotaurs, to the long-standing allegation that Kubrick was employed by NASA to fake the 1969 moon landing. This documentary is intolerable. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. So you you got it to watch it, and while you weren't around, like you were working on some edits, I was like, mm, I'll put it on. And I had to turn it off. Like I think I made it 20 minutes into it before I'm like, I can't stand this. I got to yeah. turn it off. This is horrible. I remember when I first watched it, and this would be seven or eight years ago i guess and at the time watching it and giving everyone talking the benefit of the doubt in my head and being like oh th- this must just be a thing that i didn't notice and like that's clever of this person but re-watching it recently i realized intentionally or not that it's actually a documentary about how insane people can read too far into a movie and into like random details that obviously don't mean anything and the documentary misses the mark because we're never looking at the people that are espousing these theories. <laughs> we're not seeing their houses filled with cats and we're parakeets. We're not seeing their tinfoil hats. <laughs> yeah, and we're, we're just watching the movie. So, and often the same scene over and over again, one frame at a time. And it's like, this is not how this movie should have been presented. It, we should never have seen one frame of The Shining in this movie. Even when they're trying to describe to you a scene from the movie, it should have just been showing this guy with a big you know a band-aid on his forehead and a bunch of cans on his desk yeah telling you about how stanley kubrick's face is photoshopped into the sky of one frame after his name leaves this it's like no it's not it's totally looking at it it's not there they show us things one frame at a time and i'm like i don't see i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) yeah it's uh it's real bad don't watch it don't waste your time this film was readapted as a tv movie in 1997 for abc who had previously done It and The Tommyknockers and The Stand. Uh, The Shining adaptation was starring Steven Weber and Rebecca de Mornay and was shot at the actual Stanley Hotel that inspired the Overlook and King's novel. It was directed by Mick Garris and adapted to teleplay by King himself. He actually wrote the the Mm. script for the TV movie version. I'm going to get it right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it obviously holds a lot closer to the script. And there were things that were changed or to the book. But there, there were things that were changed from the novel to Kubrick's adaptation because of, like, the limitations of the visual effects. For example, a bunch of topiaries come to life, and then he changed it to a hedge maze because they didn't have a way to, like, a- accurately puppeteer a bunch of topiaries coming to life. See, um, I like this version so much better than that, though, too. because mm-hmm. it's it's grounded in reality more, you yeah. know, that that everything that happens is like his hallucinations. Well, his number one complaint is that and, and I 
tend to agree that Jack Nicholson seems like he's crazy before he gets to the hotel. Yeah, maybe. He seems like an angry, frustrated man. I wouldn't yeah. call him crazy. Yeah. There's, when when they're having a conversation about the Donner party, when the three of them are in the bug on the way up to the hotel, he is making these weird, creepy faces into the camera that kind of sell him well, as like already having a screw loose. A weird, crazy guy. Yeah. Well, Steven Weber plays it like... And they still admit to, like, he had, you know, a violent past with Danny and caused problems. But, uh, and actually, they, they changed that, too, because in, in the Kubrick movie, he had dislocated his shoulder, the kid's shoulder. Mm-hmm. But in the book and in the miniseries, he broke his arm, like, fully broke the arm. But Stephen Weber still plays it as more of, like, a really affectionate, caring father when they're at the hotel for the first you know, month or so before right. he starts to get so it's more of a transition. A weird. Yeah, but I would say it's worth checking out. It's better than I remembered when I rewatched it for this. But uh, a sequel to the Kubrick Shining called Doctor Sleep, which is adapted to from the sequel to the novel, uh, was released last year and tried to faithfully sequelize both incarnations of The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, so it tries to it makes concessions to both sides, but um, it's all right. Um, you watched it or yeah uh i i really enjoyed it yeah um it's i liked it better than the book because i had read the (laughs) dr sleep book and i didn't care for it yeah it's kind of weird because they stephen king has been throughout his entire career now and especially with the dark tower been reestablishing that the shining and the supernatural abilities aren't a thing there 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 aren't like a, a, a supernatural thing they're a physical thing that you can extract from somebody yeah um the the guy in the dark tower is trying to extract it from children and these uh people in dr sleep are trying to extract it from usually from children but are willing to get it from other sources as well um but it's something that you can extract and contain um and store and then use later it's it's like a they're like metachlorians yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> it is and and i feel like it suffers the same problem with the metachlorians which yeah. is like the over explaining of this like mystical power right it was fine just the way it was yeah. mm-hmm. the poster for this film was done by saul bass who turned in around 300 versions before this one was finally approved and this is the one i know it's kind of a weird one this actually. is the one that it's they like picked. a distorted jack nicholson face in the letter t yeah i was like this this is a terrible post. It's think, not great. Yeah, I think I was really, because I didn't see this movie. I think I saw it for the first time, maybe in my early 20s. But I had no idea what the movie was about before I had seen it. I had only seen the poster. Yeah. And this poster did not represent the movie well for me at all. I thought this movie was going to be about aliens or something. Yeah, it looks like an alien face, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like, like stretched out. I like Saul Bass posters i I do too i I really like the vertigo poster a lot i think that's great i'd like to see the 10th or 12th draft of this (laughs) i don't think we needed 300 no i think they went too far past the line on this one yeah (laughs) it it almost seems like a poster from a foreign country it does it has that feel to it for sure speaking of foreign posters do love uh oh yeah the post one of the posters that we have hanging in our living room uh has jack nicholson from this movie, even though it's a poster for One Flew, One Flew Over the Nest. Cuckoo's Nest, they clearly, um, it was for the Turkish release of this movie. Yes. Um, and, and so they clearly had never seen 
cuckoo's nest and they just got art from other things that they knew about it like well this guy's in this and this yeah this person's in this and it has jack nicholson squeezing his head through the the hole in the doorway but they they changed the doorway into like bars of a prison cell and it has like shelly duvall screaming on it even though she's not in cuckoo's nest right and the movie's called guguk kasu which and it's was got, the turkish title it's got like these cavemen like characters holding a big rock over their head and with pipes coming out of with it. pipes coming out of it as if it were the sink i guess yeah and, and it has like christopher lee as a vampire mm. for some reason <laughs> there's a lot of weird stuff the poster is amazing maybe we should put it up on the instagram but yeah I just, we'll throw that on the uh, instagram you know uh, granted this movie came out after cuckoo's nest right the the turkish release was later and so this is this, this was is art their poster and it is it's it's fabulous i i got it at a at a flea market sale so it's an authentic poster from the original release of that movie yeah it's great it's pretty amazing now we're into the film uh we start in uh the colorado mountains is where we're supposed to be jack is driving a yellow volkswagen bug up to the overlook hotel in the mountains of estes park colorado we get a quick interview uh job interview it's just him by himself driving and he gets to the hotel and he sits down with Stuart Ullman, who is the hotel manager, and they discuss what his duties will be at the hotel. It seems like he basically already has the job. They're just letting him know right. what to look out for and be worried about. This is just like the final meet and greet, just to right. make sure. But we we get some indication that it was not a for sure thing yet, but he's officially finding out here that, yes, you, you are the man for the job. We get a, a quick clip back home of Wendy and Danny talking about the upcoming season um, that they are expecting to spend at the hotel. Danny doesn't seem super excited about it, and neither does Tony, who is Danny's imaginary friend. And Tony's speech is indicated by Danny holding up a finger and just bending the top knuckle to, to speak in this weird, froggy voice. Tony, do you think Dad'll get the job? He already did. He's going to phone Wendy up in a few minutes to tell her. Ullman warns Jack that isolation can be difficult, and he goes into detail talking about the tragedy of the winter of 1970, 10 years ago, wherein Delbert Grady, who was the previous winter caretaker, came out with his wife and two daughters and suffered a mental breakdown and killed his family with an axe. He stacked all of their body parts in a room, probably 237, but it's not specified here. Yeah. And uh, and shot himself. Um, in the book and in the miniseries, they don't tell him all of this. They just tell him that the guy came out here and shot himself. They don't mention the family until people figure it out on their own. Danny talks to Tony in a bathroom at their house. He's just holding up his finger and having a conversation about the hotel. There's some Charlie Brown stickers on the door to the bathroom, which relates to our next movie mm-hmm. there's also a sticker from uh, snow, snow white, white and the seven dwarves yeah, that dopey. doesn't relate to anything in striking contrast with what you'll hear if you watch room 237 <laughs> jack calls wendy from the hotel lobby to say that he officially got the job and as a result he will probably be late home tonight because he's getting walked around the hotel danny begs tony for an answer as to why he hates the hotel and instead of giving him a verbal answer, he gives Danny a vision of the elevator doors opening at the hotel and blood pouring out of them, which is probably the most famous shot from this movie. Right. Next to Jack Nicholson's face in a in a doorway. But, I have um, no idea how they did this shot. They filled an elevator and opened it and 
dumped. It just seems so difficult to get this shot to look the way you want it to look. Well, uh, from what I read, it they had to reshoot it multiple times. And each time they had to reset it, it took 90 days yeah. to reset it. It took them almost a year to get the shot days. that they wanted. So so really, they only actually sh- shot it like three or four times? Correct. <laughs> but apparently, the only reason that they had to keep going was because Stanley Kubrick was not happy with the color of the of the blood coming out of the elevator door. Like, he was like, oh, it's too dark or it's not dark enough. And so that's why they had to reset this whole thing and clean this whole hallway out and refill this whole thing. That's crazy. They probably had to build a whole new set. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that you can or just repaint clean the walls. It. Yeah. yeah, I've tried to paint blood off the walls, but this uh, this shot is actually in the trailer for the movie, and the MPAA was like, "No, no, it's not." And he's like, "Why not?" And they were like, "You have like gallons and gallons of blood coming out of the elevator." And he's like, "Oh no, that's that's rusty water." And they were like, "Is it?" It's like, "Yeah, it's rusty water." And they're like, "Okay, I guess you can put it in the trailer." <laughs> So it's in the trailer. That's amazing. I um, feel like this is why this movie is is really good. It's reasons like this that nowadays this would be a visual effect shot that we would yep. that we would just tweak and post. For- <laughs> we, we know that for a fact because it's been in two movies very recently. That's true. That's true. And they did not do it practically, I'm sure. Yeah, because they, they, they recreated this shot for Ready Player One, uh, for some footage of Ready Player One. And they, I think they reused the existing shot for Dr. Sleep. Yeah. But they, like, they punched into it or something. Like, it's framed differently. Yeah. Um, Why but, would you change the framing? Every frame in this movie is framed perfectly. Yeah. Now, you read the book for The Shining. Uh, from what I was reading, because I have not read the book, but from what I was reading up is that Tony, is this a spoiler? If I, I don't think uh, so. That Tony is supposed to be danny from the future yes because tony is actually his middle name anthony is his middle name and, and, and it's supposed to be him trying to like i guess just kind of guide himself. him yeah yeah or... yeah no they they go into that in the book and in the miniseries but uh here they don't really explain right. who tony is so i feel like that's not really a spoiler here so he's trying to shine himself from the future yeah okay um but after seeing this vision of the elevator doors uh spilling blood all over um Danny apparently collapses because we're cutting directly to a doctor checking him out. Um, it seems like he had he basically blacked out. I don't know if he had a seizure or anything, but the doctor is telling Wendy that he's probably fine. They move out into the living room where Wendy goes into a little bit of detail about some trouble that Danny's had at school because he had an injury. He was wearing a cast because Jack got drunk and yanked on his arm and dislocated his shoulder. But Jack has stopped drinking. He hasn't drunk in five months. And that's kind of where we leave that conversation with the doctor. I do remember reading somewhere, although I couldn't find it in preparation for this podcast, that, that this one conversation with the doctor woman in the living room, that they did over 100 takes of this, and that the doctor, the woman playing the doctor here, was like having a breakdown because she'd never worked on a movie like this. And she thought, I'm doing something wrong, or you're, like, making fun of me by making me do it again. Like, she was just going crazy by the end of it. Um, and he did that to Shelley also during the course of this movie. Yeah. Um, pretty famously just driving her crazy on the set. But, yeah, this was one of those scenes that for for no reason took way too many takes to get. When it's really, like, a nothing scene that should have been, like, a one and done. But now it's closing day. The hotel is closing, and the family is driving up to the hotel. 
as they're driving up they're talking about the donner party because they don't want to get stranded in the mountains without food and they talk about how the members of the donner party had to cannibalize each other which uh, danny knows all about cannibalism from television so when they get to the hotel ullman gives them a tour of the building danny moves to the game room where he's throwing darts at a board and when he goes to clear it he turns around and he sees these uh, sisters in blue dresses that just kind of turn and walk away in unison they're twins in this movie but in all other iterations they're just siblings well and at this point it doesn't seem that unusual because there's still people bustling around the hotel right cleaning up and preparing to leave so yeah there could be kids there exactly only the staff rooms are heated during the winter so he goes to show them those rooms it looks like a pretty nice room i i feel like watching this movie i was like man i would love to just stay at this hotel for like six months and get paid for it to just not do anything and sleep in every day and full refrigerators yeah Uh, the 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 duties that they have to do is to cycle the boilers and the heat throughout the hotel right so the pipes don't freeze and just so things kind of stay in generally good shape which is obviously a bigger deal in the book and the miniseries because it's a major plot point that the boilers if he doesn't if he doesn't clear the boiler because the pipes are all rusted shut he has to do it manually and if he doesn't do it every day then the boiler will explode and blow up the whole hotel mm-hmm. which doesn't happen at all in this movie and is, is not re- relevant to the plot but at the end of the book the hotel has exploded oh. so um, i don't think that that was a necessary plot point like i mean i guess it is if you want the hotel to explode but well he's inside of it when it explodes <laughs> mm. so it plays a part in that movie um, that makes sense obviously in dr sleep they well do we want to get into spoilers of dr sleep i mean I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that they visit the overlook hotel no it's in the trailer yeah but so the overlook hotel exists still so clearly that's keeping with the the shining version of the story correct whereas other parts of it are following the the novel version of the story but uh the hotel apparently opened in 1909 as did the the hedge maze across the street which ullman walks them past um he shows them the snow cat which drives just like a car so if you can drive a car you can drive the snow cat he uh he takes them to the gold room which uh is emptied of liquor for the winter season but jack says that doesn't matter because he doesn't drink so it's perfect Halloran shows up here in the gold room. Dick Halloran is played by Scatman Crothers, and uh, he offers to show Wendy and Danny the kitchen because they are a woman and a child, and those people need to know where the kitchen is, and the man needs to know where the axes are. So he can chop wood and, and people. Dick starts calling Danny Doc, kind of unprompted, and Wendy seems more shocked than I think she should be. She probably wouldn't even notice that he called him Doc because yeah. they routinely call him doc but she's like well i don't remember calling him doc since we've been here and it's like yeah but you wouldn't you would just assume that you said it because this other person is saying doc now yeah they they go into a freezer um and he talks about how much meat they have in there and it just sounded amazing and then uh, they go to a pantry where they have all the snack foods and cereals and stuff and as he's showing it to wendy danny kind of zones in on halloran who even though he's like speaking with wendy is looking directly at danny and then he asks danny telepathically if he would like ice cream how'd you like some ice cream doc which is the first indication that these two characters have a connection Mm -hmm. that other people don't have while they uh, leave with omen 
he sits down with Danny and they have a little conversation about their powers, the powers that they share. Dick's grandmother used to call it the shining or he, he says that she called it shining, not the shining. Mm -hmm. Danny says that Tony won't let him talk about it with anybody. And Dick says, did Tony tell you anything about this hotel? Then Danny says, is there something bad here? Because he was warned against coming here, but he doesn't know what it was. And he asks specifically about room 237 and the, and accuses Dick of being scared of room 237. And Dick says, there's nothing there and stay away from it. <laughs> Don't go in there. You got no business going in there. Yeah. Which which I love that, that line in Ready Player One because h has not ever seen the shining yeah and he gets lured into 237 and later on they're they're talking about it's like we've got no business going into that room (laughs) (laughs) uh we get a title card that says a month later so we're now with just the family alone at this hotel wendy is rolling a uh breakfast in bed into jack and uh danny is doing laps around the lobby with the tricycle so we're getting kind of a geographic understanding of the hotel lobby uh wendy says she likes it here and Jack says that he felt when he arrived like he had been here before. He had some very powerful deja vu when he got to the hotel the first time. Jack bounces a ball off the hotel wall in that main lobby area, which was bothering you because he's bouncing oh it off the God. wall right it next to this buffalo me, head. Yeah, it made me a crazy person. Well, not only are you throwing it like towards like this buffalo head, which you could very easily damage if you hit it, but like just throwing it at a nicely painted wall you could leave. Well, it's a tennis ball. But yeah, still, yeah. You can still but, leave marks or dents or dirt or but, like. But this plays into the Native American just hitting them hard and just not caring about Stop their it. stuff. No, 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 it doesn't. No, don't you know? No, it doesn't. Stop. Don't you know? That's this not is what it's all about. a metaphor. It's, it's not a conspiracy. If it's, it's about not a anything, metaphor. it is the moon landing one. But um, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. I didn't fall victim to any of the conspiracy <laughs> theories about this movie. No, that's not even what the guy's saying. The guy's saying, we landed on the moon, but they faked it this one time for no reason. Mm -hmm. Wendy chases Danny out of the hotel and into the hedge maze. They actually make their way all the way to the center of it. And uh, back in the lobby, Jack is looking at a miniature model of the maze. But we cut to this weird, like, matted aerial shot of the Mm -hmm. maze. And then we're slowly zooming into the center where we actually see uh, Wendy and Danny inside of it. And then we cut to Tuesday. Uh, Wendy is fixing another meal and she sees a TV report about a missing hiker and an incoming snowstorm. Danny rides his tricycle past room 237 and he stops for a second. He stands up and he goes to touch the locked doorknob and he sees a flash of the two sisters again standing in the hallway. Jack types for a bit and then Wendy interrupts him to announce the incoming snow and he gets really mad at her for coming in the room at all because he's trying to work and she shouldn't be in there and we cut to thursday by the way this missing hiker doesn't play into the rest of this story at all but we see the girl that goes missing in uh the beginning of dr sleep because it starts in 1980 before Mm. it moves to the present but um the girl disappears also the woman reporting the snowstorm is also in the tv movie reporting a snowstorm So is they it, brought is the this, actress back. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, oh, that's, I was wondering if they just used the same footage. Uh, no, they actually brought the actress okay. back. They were unable to find the body of Lois Einhorn. Hiker Mystics Friday. Einhorn. Finkel and Einhorn. Thursday. Wendy and Danny are playing in the snow, which is the exterior set of the hotel. 
you could have fooled me really yeah like i was like oh it looks great yeah the only way that you can tell really the difference between the exteriors the the actual exteriors and the fake exteriors is that at the very center of the hotel there's this tall like spire triangular shape mm. which is not in the fake exterior but aside from that it it looks exactly like the rest of the hotel and it's very very impressive work um it had to be a huge set and very expensive for a movie that didn't make a lot of money in yeah. theaters as wendy and danny are playing in the snow outside jack is just watching them through the window with a creepy face and uh, that's basically all we get from thursday and then we cut ahead to saturday where uh jack is typing again and wendy is trying to operate the switchboard she's trying to use the phones but the phones don't seem to be working so she goes to Almond's office to use the radio and she reaches out to the local forestry service and uh, they tell her the phones are out because all the poles are above ground and they're going to be out till spring probably they don't really get fixed in the middle of the season but he suggests that she leave the radio on in case they need to contact her for emergencies danny trikes around the hotel until he finds the grady twins again and here they're telling him and then he's getting flashes of their severed legs and mm-hmm. corpses in the hallway with blood just splattered all over the walls danny's covering his eyes in shock and just terrified of what's happening and uh eventually they disappear because he remembers uh tony reminds him what uh dick halloran said which is that they're just like pictures in a book that uh that it's not real and it can't hurt you yeah, the, the forces of the house have yet to be unleashed right uh we cut to monday we're watching tv danny asks if he can get his fire truck out of the room and wendy warns him that daddy is sleeping that he just went to bed so apparently he's been up all night trying to write and uh he will hurt you if you go into the room to get your truck and wake him up eventually she gives in and danny tiptoes into the room but jack is already awake he's sitting on the edge of his bed just kind of staring off into nothingness jack says come over here and gives him a hug asks if he's doing okay we get kind of an elmer bernstein sounding score here mm. it's very like ethereal and disorienting and and jack uh, it's weird because jack nichols and jack Torrance, but yeah and um, danny and danny yeah uh he he repeats the lines i want to stay here forever and ever and ever the, the the same lines that the little girls repeated yeah are their names jack and danny in the book yes so it's just a weird coincidence. Yeah. Or it's not a coincidence and they literally hired this kid because his name was Danny. It just makes it easier. Yeah. It's just like, he'll respond to Danny if I say it on set. Um, and then we'll tell people that we needed to get an exact accent when in actuality I just wanted someone whose name was Danny. That's all we were going for. Danny asks Jack if he would ever hurt him or mommy. And obviously Jack thinks that this means Wendy's been saying something like, your father is very angry and he could hurt you and things like that but uh in reality what's probably happening is that he was listening to his father's thoughts there mm-hmm. and heard him think some terrible stuff about them and then asked if that stuff would ever come true um but he obviously jack is very upset by this because he thinks wendy's like planting these terrible thoughts in in danny's mind we cut to wednesday where Danny plays with some toy cars on the infamous Overlook carpeting, a pattern that is repeated all over the place. People like it. Uh, Danny calls to Wendy and notices that the door to 237 is now open. We fade to Wendy checking the boilers, and uh, she hears a faint shouting sound. 
Eventually she finds Jack passed out at the typewriter and he's screaming incoherently in his sleep. And as she wakes him up, he collapses to the floor off of his chair. And he's like very disoriented and clearly just came out of a very deep sleep dream. And he admits that he just had this insane nightmare where he killed Wendy and Danny. Which I think is when you said, like, this is when you put the kid in the car and you leave. Yeah. Like, right here. Right yep. this second. You're out of there. You don't wait for anything else. Yeah. He says he chopped them up. And uh, Danny very slowly enters the room. And we're only seeing this from behind Danny. And Wendy says, oh, why don't you go to your room? I'm, I'm just talking with Daddy here. Yeah. Her, her reading of this is, like, perfect mom. is like, she's all, Danny everything is okay yeah (laughs) and but he's very slowly moving forward and he's got one hand up so you think he's either holding something or you don't know what what exactly is happening but there's something going on that she's not noticing from across the room and uh when he ignores her telling him to go upstairs and he keeps walking closer and closer to them that's when she notices that his shirt is all torn and that his neck is bruised really badly and she immediately assumes that this wasn't just a dream that Jack had, that he actually did something, whether in his sleep or mm. awake, that hurt Danny. And she starts screaming at Jack, and he's just completely confused and walks away from them. Instead of denying it or anything yeah. like that right, right. here, right. he literally just leaves. And at this point, if you weren't convinced by the crazy dream, get in that snow cat and get the hell out yeah, of there your kid's I mean, already hurt your just kid leave. is hurt you, you he did it like you don't wait you don't think about it you get in that thing and you go yeah um jack wanders into the gold room still half dazed he looks up and starts talking to a bartender who we don't see until we eventually get the reverse angle mm-hmm. he somehow knows the bartender's name is lloyd yeah. despite the fact that he's not wearing a name tag or anything but he orders a bottle of bourbon a glass with some ice and he says here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm it's caused me jack denies hurting danny and he vents about wendy to lloyd and then lloyd responds with women can't live with them can't live without them which is i think supposed to plant in our heads the the obvious turn on that phrase that has become more popular i think than that phrase which is the women can't live with them can't kill them which i think was was originally a stand-up comedian told the joke that way but that's become like the more the more spoken version of that joke wendy starts running around with a bat screaming for jack and you're like what is happening like mm-hmm. is she coming to attack him now that this happened and uh she moves into the the gold room and she gets right next to him and she tells jack that there's a crazy woman in 237 and that she attacked danny this is where the first time watching the movie and even rewatching it now the first time i get goosebumps yeah is when just her performance 100 percent sells what's going on here and the implication that there's another person here that we didn't know about that hurt our son is terrifying and stephen king has said multiple times he doesn't understand what anyone thinks is scary about this movie because he thinks it's corny and silly compared to what he wrote this is so much better than yeah. anything that happens in the shining well movie. because it's such a big place and there's only three of them there's it's yeah. very easily someone could be lurking and hiding. You'd never know. Yeah. And you're never going to find the person either. But it's just so terrifying. And her delivery, the the panic in her voice and the way it's shaking and, and her eyes. And she's just, she she is legitimately terrified. And you have to remember between takes here, she's getting chewed out endlessly by Kubrick for doing things wrong mm-hmm. and, and not being a good actress. And, and so she's panicking that she's going to get fired from this movie 
the whole time when you know it's just informing her performance and i think even in some of the talking head interviews on the the making the shining documentary that vivian kubrick did she she talks about i knew it, i i realize now that he was getting the performance out of me and i respect him for it but um what it was part of his process and it helped it helped the performance i don't know if she actually feels that way because she's well, being interviewed by his daughter yeah but even if she doesn't feel that way it still was a traumatic experience yeah. doesn't it erase what he it's still did? abuse <laughs> yeah but what i like about that scene is that jack gives gives her the benefit of the doubt well not at first the first thing he says is are you out of your fucking mind yeah yeah but then he goes well in what room was it yeah <laughs> i mean he he's like he's willing to check it out yeah we uh we cut to dick halloran's apartment where uh, he's watching television. We see his feet propped up on a pillow at the edge of his bed. That, that's what you were looking at? <laughs> well, that's not what I was well, looking that's at. not what we see at first. First we see the legs, and then we we pan up to reveal that there's a picture of a naked woman hanging on the wall above his television. <laughs> and then we get the reverse angle of him on the bed, and we pan up and see another naked woman above his bed. The point of this scene was that Kubrick didn't want this to be like, oh, some old preacher character, like some, mm-hmm. like, priest who has like this magical connection because he's just a morally good character it's like no i wanted to show that he's an everyman mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. has porn hanging in his house because he's just an average person right and he doesn't he, think he's he better than anybody clearly lives alone and he travels back and forth by yeah. the season to this hotel and then back to miami or right yeah he lives in miami and uh he's watching this uh this report on television while he's watching tv he gets a shining message from danny and it's saying you need to come back here and help me right now and he's reacting to it like he's receiving a message in his head and we cut to danny kind of foaming at the mouth sending this long-range message from the hotel we get a point of view shot of jack exploring room 237 because the door was still open he moves through the room which is like it has this weird purple and green carpet compared to the rest of the hotel it's Mm -hmm. a different color it seems like themed differently he moves into this like mint green bathroom area where there's a naked woman in a bathtub behind a curtain and she pulls the curtain out of the way and she stands up steps out of the tub and he gets this devilish grin on his face and the two of them start kissing but then while he's pulling her tighter he notices that she looks different than she did before they actually made contact with each other and then he notices in a mirror that she's like decomposing and that she's actually like an elderly woman mm-hmm. who's like falling apart and we're getting this intercut with shots of her like corpse floating in the bathtub yeah and he starts freaking out and backing away from her dick holleran tries to call from his home to the hotel but the phones are still out obviously so he's not able to get a hold of anyone jack goes back to where wendy was and says there's nothing in the room there i don't know what was going on there's nothing in there which i'm not sure why he says this unless there's like two parts of him already here that one of them knows what's going on and the other one doesn't like if he literally doesn't remember what happened in there or he just wants to hide from her that there are weird things afoot wow or maybe he wants to hide that he was making out with some other lady yeah but this was a very supernatural <laughs> situation i feel like i would be like oh yeah there's a ghost in he's, just em- he's embarrassed that he made out with the yeah, old lady he, that was falling apart you, you get it you get one pass and if it's a ghost lady yeah <laughs> Or if it's like, it's it's basically, it's another Gong Show movie reference where it's like, I never slept with her. <laughs> like this old, this 85-year-old pregnant woman. She's she's trying to figure out if there wasn't anyone in the room, how to account for what happened to Danny. 
and Jax suggests that maybe Danny did this to himself. Right. So that's not where I go. Like if if the woman's not in the room, I just that assume was there, she's not in that room anymore. She's somewhere else yeah. now. I'm was like the door out. open? Like I don't assume that this kid managed to strangle himself. He's clear. She's clearly hiding somewhere else in the hotel, waiting to attack us. Yeah, but she says that's not possible. And uh, we cut to Danny in bed, uh, laying on his side, but with his eyes completely wide open, and he's basically like eavesdropping on their conversation via The Shining. Uh, without actually being in the room with them. Well, I don't even think he needs to because they're probably, it sounds like they're kind of yelling. Yeah, I don't know if, if he is within earshot of them or not. It looked like the implication was that he's using his powers to hear what they're saying. Mm. But maybe maybe you're right. Maybe they're just in the other room and he's just pretending to sleep. Lis- listening to mommy and daddy fight is a time-honored tradition. Yes. Um, we get the elevator bloodshot again. And then Jack starts shouting at Wendy for fucking up his life. He storms angrily back to the gold room when he starts to hear this like old-fashioned music playing like from the 20s like maybe 21 even specifically he sees balloons and party favors all strewn about in the hallway as he gets closer dick halloran reaches the local forest service and asks them if they could please check on the hotel because he thinks that they might be having a problem we cut back to jack entering the now crowded gold room bar and uh, he tries to pay for a second drink, but Lloyd won't take his money. It's no good here. He didn't bring money the first time, and he came prepared this time, but Lloyd is like, your money's no good here. And he says, I'm a, I'm a man who likes to know who's buying his drink. Mm-hmm. And then he says, well, you know, we'll, we'll let you know when it's important who's yeah, buying your drink. Yeah, it's just, it doesn't concern you, right? at least not at this point. Yeah. And then he steps away from the bar for a second and does this, like, loopy dance for a minute. And then he crashes into Delbert Grady, who is avoiding another patron, and then spills a tray of, I think he says apricot drinks? No, it's it's advocat. It's a it's a drink with egg in it. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, it's like a fancy European thing. Whatever it is, it stains. And so they have to move into the bathroom, which is just behind the bar here, to clean up uh, Jack's clothes. It's not like he's wearing anything super fancy compared to everyone else in here, but they want to take care of it right away. And... Uh, while they're in there, Delbert introduces himself as Delbert Grady, which Jack recognizes is the name of the caretaker who murdered his family. He tells Grady this, that you were the caretaker here, weren't you? And he says, oh no, you're the caretaker here. You've always been the caretaker here. And the two of them kind of back and forth, Jack insisting and Grady denying that he's mm-hmm. that he killed his family here as the caretaker. So um, I'm trying to figure out at this point, when he says something like, you've always been the caretaker is is the concept of the person who is the caretaker is sort of being transitioned from person to person Mm -hmm. as they come in and so it was grady when he came there and he got sort of taken over by this spirit that is the caretaker and now it has transitioned into jack and so now he is the caretaker but he's the spirit that's always been the caretaker i don't know or is this (laughs) just his version of this delusion like, does everyone experience a different delusion of the 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 role of caretaker? Uh, but also, I was going to bring this up at the end, but I'll sure. well bring it up now. I mean, there's, there's been a ten year gap of nothing happening, right? So presumably, there have been caretakers in between. Correct. We see one at the beginning when he's going in to do his interview. There's another guy, Bill, there who was the previous caretaker who is leaving. He's not staying at the hotel anymore. Right. 
So uh, I kind of assumed Bill was actually a caretaker during the year, but you're saying he was the previous years. Right. I'm just saying there are other caretakers. But but also, you know, they they do this every winter. So there's been at least one person there. Right. Every winter, but since the Grady killings and now the Torrance family. Somebody's managed to survive the winter. Yeah. Right. But they might not have had families with them. So maybe, I mean, there might be a difference in that. That's possible. I feel like if every family man who shows up for the job murders his entire family, I would stop hiring family (laughs) men. That's a weird trend. (laughs) You ever notice how all the guys with kids end up turning their kids into firewood? Isn't that weird? Maybe we should stop hiring guys with kids. That's Um, discrimination. You're not even allowed to ask in the interview. That's true. Yeah. Maybe if they had more kids, it would be better. <laughs> you can't kill all those kids. Nobody has enough kids that you can't kill them in one winter. <laughs> I'm just going to put that on the table right now. Grady warns Jack that his son has put out a call to someone outside the hotel, an N-word cook. Mm-hmm. And he tells Jack about Danny's powers, which Jack seems not to know anything about. Yeah, I mean, they know about Tony a little bit, but they don't know... That he has any abilities beyond an imaginary friend, I guess. Mm -hmm. So he's done a good job of hiding it, apparently. And Delbert Grady suggests that perhaps they need a good talking to, if you don't mind my saying so. Mm -hmm. Perhaps more. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, kill your family. Kill your family, friend. Homer, me and the other ghosts are really upset that you haven't killed your family yet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Wendy plans an escape out loud walking back and forth in her room i thought that was uh risky of her she's yeah. just going back and forth like i'll just take the kid i'll take the kid and we'll get on the snowcat and we'll go down to the bottom of the mountain and someone will get to us and it's like what if jack is standing like right around the corner like you're just gonna get murdered right here the house is listening um but still i think that is showing that she's just you know she's hitting a breaking point so right she's yeah. just kind of going crazy he's not the only one with a cabin fever situation she's yeah. <laughs> this is actually just shelly duvall running her lines yeah and Cooper's <laughs> film her i've gotten i've broken her and now this is perfect filming. she's actually crazy now we hear red rum for the first time here red rum. Red rum. danny is red rum. shouting it in this really creepy intonation, red rum, red rum, red rum, like it's getting higher pitch and faster and faster. And uh, Wendy goes in to wake him up, and she can't wake him up. Eventually, she gets into a conversation with Tony because she can't reach Danny, and Tony tells her, "Danny's not here, Mrs. Torrance." We hear the Forest Service reaching out over the radio into Ullman's office, K2K1 calling K2K12, but. Jack intercepts the message and destroys the radio because he thinks that they're plotting behind his back. Dick Hollering calls the Forest Service again, and they say, we couldn't reach the hotel. Now we get a title that says 8 a.m., so we're getting more specific with the time. This seems like this is going to be an eventful day if we have to separate it into the the hours of the day now. Uh, We see a continental flight as Dick Holleran is now flying from Miami to Colorado to get to the hotel as fast as he can. Uh, Jack is typing away, and uh, when Dick Holleran lands at the airport, he calls a local shop to rent a snowcat so that he can get up the mountain because all the roads are out. Uh, His friend Larry Durkin at the snowcat place uh, tells him, I'll get it set up, I'll have it ready for you when you get here. We see Dick driving through really crappy snow, and we see a very nasty accident. 
of it looks like an 18-wheeler basically rolled over a car. Yeah, I don't know. Like, did they set this up, too, for the movie? Or was there just legitimately an accident? One thing from Room 237 that I think might not be totally inaccurate. (laughs) Other than the moon landing. (laughs) Other than the moon landing thing, which obviously we didn't land on the moon, is that in the book, the Volkswagen bug is red, but in the movie it's yellow. But in this accident here, it's a red Volkswagen bug that's crushed by the truck. Yeah. So the suspicion of the person in room 237 was that this is Kubrick saying, fuck your movie. (laughs) I dropped a truck on it. Like, who cares what you wanted to happen here? Yeah, what if Bumblebee is, like, the car from The Shining? Oh, my gosh. Crossover. There's no no other cars in this movie. It doesn't really work beyond Bumblebee. The snow cat. The snow cat transforms into an actual cat. (laughs) An actual cat? I don't know how Transformers work. (laughs) Um, Wendy asks Danny to sit still while she chats with Jack. And she takes the, the bat and she goes to the writing room where uh, Jack has told her repeatedly not to come in here, whether or not he's writing, because if he's not writing, he's thinking about what he's going to write. And uh, he's not in here, but she finds the typewriter, and she goes to read some of his work, and it's the same sentence over and over and over again. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, with various typos, because sometimes, it's an actual typewriter, and yeah, and <laughs> what are you going to do? Sometimes dull boy is one word. Yeah. And I was like, is that is dull boy one word? It can be. Like one of them said, dull bot? Dull bot. Dull bot. Oh my god, that ties into our Transformers. But yeah, there's pages and pages of this. I think there was something like 500 pages typed originally for the film. Jack enters the room and asks how she likes it. He follows her across the room very menacingly. Even though he's not armed, he's just, uh, he has a very uh, menacing uh, force to him. We get this weird, like, underwater sounding filter of his voice saying, like, Maybe it was about Danny. Maybe it was about him. Danny sees the elevators uh, flushing the the hallway with blood again. This time we're seeing the shot for longer and it's washing all the furniture down the hall. Jack reminds Wendy of his responsibility to the hotel owners. They can't just leave and uh, leave the hotel here because he has a job to do. But there are two adults and one child, so she can leave uh, without uh, breaking any of his responsibilities. They start moving up the steps. Yeah, I, I, I really like this line. One of them is a, a clip from the beginning of our, our episodes. Wendy, darling, light, light of my, of my life. life. Well, so Wendy says that she just wants to go back to her room. And he says, why? And she goes, <laughs> I'm very confused. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I don't know how to say this without making you angrier. Yeah, yeah. It's like she's trying to be nonchalant. Yeah. She's like, well, I think I just need to take a rest. Yeah, she's like also making it her problem. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just confused. Like, I need to go figure things out. You're fine. This is great what you're doing. I love this energy. I'm going to go back to the room. He says, Wendy, Sally, darling, light of my life. I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. I'm gonna bash him right the fuck in. <laughs> she keeps swinging this bat. I think someone counted it. She swings it like 41 times at him, which um, obviously is a reference to the 41. Uh, no, no. <laughs> it's not a reference to anything. 
But can you imagine how exhausting this must have been to film? Because she swings it 41 times in this cut. How many hundreds of other times did she swing it? It's funny because uh, this is one of those scenes where people say, oh, there was 180 takes of this shot. But the people that actually worked on it said there was only like 30. But still, 30 times 41 swings. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> They're going up and down these stairs 30 times yeah. swinging this bat around. And I'm sure she's legitimately going crazy by the end of it. Yeah. But... Uh, He's trying to grab the bat out of her hand as she's swinging it. And eventually she gets him in the back of his hand one of the times that he reaches for it. And then she gets him in the head and he collapses and falls down the stairs, uh, which is a pretty cool shot. Well, I was going to say, he looks like he actually just falls down these stairs. And yeah. I mean, I, I have to assume this was a stunt guy. I don't know. Maybe. It might have just been Jack. Do yeah. it again. Yeah. <laughs> Another take. <laughs> yeah. That would that would be pretty rough if you did this 30 times. Um but uh, we cut to her dragging him by the feet through the kitchen, locking him in the pantry. And uh, when she closes the door and locks it behind her, um, we have him in the pantry going, like pretending to be dizzier than he is and trying to make her worried that he's going to die from mm-hmm. the, the impact. And, uh, and he's like, oh, I think you hit me real bad. Oh, I'm not <laughs> feeling so good. And, and this uh, shot was done from like on underneath him like looking up yeah they show it in the documentary and it's just so impressive like he's he's scouting out the shot like kubrick is laying on the ground looking up and he's Mm. like yeah we could do it from down here and i'm thinking i don't even know how you get a film camera underneath him in that space and film that shot it's just you, you do the uh orson welles you method. dig a hole you in the dig floor. A hole in the floor. <laughs> well, that's not what they do though. There's a guy there, and he just has a really small, but somehow still 35 millimeter camera, and he's laying completely packed down on the floor against the the wall. And he's also he has foil on his chest because there's a light that's the only light source for the scene in the middle of his chest to light Jack's face, and he also has um, a gel that he's holding with his other hand over the light. <laughs> so he's holding a gel. And the 35 millimeter camera and getting this shot of Jack. And Jack is like pretending to talk to her while he's looking down, like formulating his his lie into the camera with this creepy smile. And uh, obviously she doesn't open the door for him. And she says, I'm, I'm going to go get help. I'm going to get Danny and we're going to go down and we're going to find a doctor. And I'm going to bring a doctor back to take care of you. But we're going to leave in the snowcat. He says, you got a big surprise coming to you. Why don't you go check on that snowcat? And the radio. And the radio. And she verifies <laughs> his declaration that both have been destroyed. 4 p.m. Uh, Jack wakes up in the pantry um, halfway through a box of Oreos and a bunch of other stuff. He clearly ate a bunch of food until well, it he It seems like out. he's been there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, but I just love that he just came up and just started like, well. All right, I'm hungry. What do we got? But he wakes up to a knocking at the pantry door and uh, Grady uh, is outside. We hear his voice through the door wondering aloud why his family isn't a pile of limbs yet. <laughs> Jack says, no need to rub it in, Mr. Grady. <laughs> he promises to fulfill his duties and Grady lets him out of the pantry, which is so far the most supernatural thing we've seen happen. Well, I was going to say, this is the... This is- the only thing I feel like in that the entire movie that can't be explained by him hallucinating it. Yeah. Well, I guess Danny's markings. Well, I mean, he still could have done he that. He could have done he that. He could have done that to himself. Or he yeah. could have done it to Danny. That's true. Yeah. But 
the popular theory here is that Danny let him out. Or Tony did. Because of all the... I don't know why. Why? <laughs> I don't know. He's back and forth in a trance and he has unexplainable actions later in the film. So it's, also, possi- it's also possible that he knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. So he, uh, so he Dr. Stranges this one and is like, the only way we're going to make this. Yeah, uh, that's why he holds up one finger and goes, <laughs> one. <laughs> that, that was him poking out the pin that was holding the door closed. Yeah. And he's like, one, Mr. Torrance. And he folds his finger. No, I, th- I think the implication is that the. The, the ghosts the, the, let him out. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> and then in the Simpsons episode, it's like Mo is being Lloyd and he's mm. letting him out. But then also there's like the, the wolf, wolf man, man. Yeah. <laughs> like the Dracula mummy. and a mummy. <laughs> like all these different ghouls are just dragging him out yeah. of the pantry. Well, because Homer had resigned himself to just to eat eat in the pantry. Which <laughs> yeah. seemed like what he was going to, which, what uh, Jack was going to do anyway. So I just yeah. love that in the Simpsons. You're like, yeah, this is the most Homer thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Dick Halloran shows up in the rented snowcat. Danny starts chanting red rum at Wendy's bedside while she's asleep. He grabs a knife off of her bedstand and he like checks it to see how sharp it is. He's like running his fingers over the blade of it. But then he picks up her lipstick and he starts writing red rum as he's chanting it on the door next to her bed. And he slowly transitions from Tony to Danny. Yes. It's Tony going red rum, red rum, red rum. Then he starts going to Danny going red rum, red rum, rum, like higher pitch. Yeah. And uh, she wakes up while this is happening and takes the knife away from him immediately. And then suddenly we see uh, in the mirror that red rum spells murder on the door in lipstick. And suddenly Jack is swinging an axe into the door to their room, which Wendy has locked. Even though he was in the pantry and locked away she also locked this bedroom door because yeah. she's not an idiot yeah. i would have i would have hidden in another room <laughs> no 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 this one this is the room <laughs> this is the room for me also i feel like i wouldn't be going to bed i would be scouring that shed for a new distributor cap or something to get this thing going again i would not have I would just given up on the snow cat it's easy to get down the hill <laughs> <laughs> but she uh yeah so we see jack swinging an axe into the door with this really cool shot and they repeat the action of it later but like the camera is like following, following the, the motion axe. of the axe and yeah. it slams to a stop every time the axe hits the door it's like it's motion stabilized on the yeah, axe it looks like a, a pan and scan effect mm-hmm. um, but it's very cool the way it works out and uh he he gets through the first door but wendy has taken danny into the bathroom and uh, she opens the bathroom window to outside the hotel um, luckily the snow is piled up to exactly that window's level so she's able to push danny out this window and he could just slide down the snow mm-hmm. hill and she's telling him to just run get away wherever you can and uh, she tries to get out but she can't fit completely out this window so she has the knife that that uh, she took from danny still and uh, jack gets to the bathroom door and he starts chopping through that when he when he gets through the first door he says something like honey i'm home or something like that yeah and then he does the three little pigs yeah and uh once he punches a hole in the in the bathroom door is when he sticks his face in that crack and he says here's johnny she's freaking out she the performance we're getting from her in this room as he's chopping through the bathroom door is like some of her best work in the whole movie and i've heard people complain that it's like oh it's so over the top and it's like no 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 this woman is like has been chased around by this insane person all day right. who now has an axe right and who's she has inches no away from her out. yeah 
And uh, I, I believe 100% her performance here. I feel like it's just insane that anyone would even joke about nominating this for a Razzie. Like, that blows my mind that that happened. But uh, he he gets that hole in the door, and then he reaches through it to unlock the bathroom door, and she slices his hand with a knife. And he pulls his hand back through without unlocking the door. But then while he's looking at his own hand and the blood dripping off of it, he hears a snowcat outside. So either Danny fixed that one or there's another snowcat here. That's interesting. And so he leaves to investigate that. Danny has run, even though he was outside, he ran back into the hotel. Mm -hmm. Is that where you would have run? I don't think I would have run back inside. I don't know that there's a lot of places that would be safe to go. And warm. Yeah, Yeah, because he would freeze to death if he stayed outside for an extended period of time. So I think he was just like, I'm going to go back into the hotel but hide somewhere where he doesn't know I am and can't possibly find me, even though there's clearly some supernatural shit going on. So maybe he can find me anyway. But uh, he pulls like a Jurassic Park... And he goes to hide in this metallic cabinet. And uh, Wendy is crying alone in the bathroom, but she realizes that Jack isn't there anymore. That he's not trying to get into the bathroom. And uh, Jack is limping back through the lobby of the hotel towards Dick Halloran's voice. Because he's saying, hey, is anybody here? What's going on? <laughs> after all this, after the after the flight and renting the snowcat and mm-hmm. driving through all this terrible traffic and accidents and everything, he's, he's about... 30 steps into the lobby when suddenly Jack comes out from behind a column and just buries the yeah. axe full full bore into his heart. It, it reminded me of the MacGyver, uh, the the Dr. Zito episode. Yeah. When the guy comes up, the cop comes up the stairs and the guy's just waiting at the top of the stairs with the axe. Yeah. But this is also crazy because in the book, Dick Halloran survives the whole thing. So that was a, this is another moment for Stephen King watching the movie to be like, what the fuck? Like the guy flew the whole way across the country to save the kid and then you just ax him in the chest immediately? Mm-hmm. God damn it. Also uh, parodied on The Simpsons uh, with Willie. Yeah. Uh, keeps getting axed in every episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Danny screams because he's obviously psychically connected to Scatman, and so when he gets the axe in the heart he feels the pain of that person dying and uh screams in his little cabinet which basically gives away his location and jack turns to follow him wendy looking for danny finds that this is the most <laughs> unexplainable shot in the movie a guy in like an assless furry costume going down on a fancy gentleman yeah <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> i don't is that know not what... the bartender i don't think so Oh, I thought it was. The I bartender. think it's just a different, a different person from the party scene. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why this guy's in a bear costume. I mean, because they're up in the mountains. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> what? What else are you gonna do? But uh, yeah, I guess maybe I would be doing the same thing in 1921. It's like, what are we gonna do? There's no video games yet. I'm gonna put on that bear <laughs> costume and blow you. Well, see, and <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm also wondering if thank it... God they invented video games. By the way. <laughs> I, I almost wonder if this is the the hotel attempting to get her, like attempting to show her these hallucinations, the way that it showed. Them. What do you mean, get her? To get her on the house, the the hotel side, like because eh? Eh? well, because 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 <laughs> the hotel didn't only only show Jack pleasant things; it showed him horrible things too. That's true. Um, and now all of a sudden, it starts bombarding her with these like creepy images of everything yeah. but it's all party goers from that 1920s party for some reason and um, a room full of skeletons yeah that was weird that i feel like 
that everything else like, was fine. No, I, I still stand by my comment that the bear yes. costume makes the least sense. But she moves into the lobby and suddenly it's like all lit in blue and there's skeletons and cobwebs everywhere and they mm-hmm. disappear like in the next shot mm-hmm. aesthetically this shot stands out in the film i'll give you that it looks sure. like a goosebumps episode yes <laughs> um in the middle of a very serious movie but yeah uh danny runs into the maze with jack limping after him uh wendy finds dick holleran's body and another ghost with a bloody forehead holding <laughs> a drink saying something about like isn't this a great party or yeah. something like that in the in the maze we have jack basically follow danny around corners repeatedly until danny gets to a place where he decides he's going to start walking backwards through his own footsteps to mask the direction he went and then he crawls back under one of the hedges to hide himself uh now we get wendy seeing the actual elevator blood Mm -hmm. and danny manages to get out of the maze but jack does not and wendy and danny take the snowcat away from the hotel the one that Scatman brought them. Mm-hmm. And guess, guess he must have left the keys in there. That's lucky. I, I, I would have loved the parody of, is that they, they open up the hood of the, the functioning uh, to get the distributor cap to go to repair to the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, they leave the hotel in the snowcat. And in the morning, we see that Jack has frozen to death in the in the maze angrily frozen to death yeah like like he he stayed angry all the way through freezing yeah. to death. he just sat down and stared straight ahead like god damn it this was a stupid idea and uh he froze like that i like at the end of the simpsons they're all frozen like that around the television mm-hmm. and the tony awards come on and they can't change, <laughs> the, like, channel. change the channel <laughs> i can't i'm frozen Arr! we slow push into a picture on the wall of the hotel with a celebration from 1921 and it's the party that jack was visiting only he is actually in this picture in the center of frame mm-hmm. so i think the question would be is this a real picture or was he added to the picture like are these all the people that the hotel has claimed, claimed. yeah uh, was that originally an empty ball from but he's always been the caretaker mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know Did, was it was it i mean I think that it would be clearer to me if him and Delbert were both in this picture. Mm. That it would just be like, oh, okay, these are like, it's like a reincarnation type thing. And these people are being brought back to the hotel by some greater power because they actually did live there and mm-hmm. worked there in the past. But the fact that it's just Jack makes me think, well, maybe it is just whoever most recently was taken over by the hotel is replaced in this picture. So it's not clear. But it shouldn't be clear because it's got to be people got to talk about it. I want to talk about some connections between this film and Empire Strikes Back. Go. So the movie's over, by the way. That's the that's the last shot of the film is the uh, is the 1921 party picture. And you said there were no credits in the original because because we had credits streaming up at the beginning. Yeah. But it, this just ends on that. Yeah. And then we get these digitally added credits now okay so okay because that that the, the version i saw had that as well yeah um but uh so here are some things that this movie has in common with uh empire strikes back i already mentioned that the the snow uh was used on the hoth set and was used in this movie i suspect maybe prematurely that both of these films are in our top two or three for the year <laughs> letterboxed wise danny hurt himself and Wendy says, That's not possible. 
which reminded me of when Mark Hamill says, <laughs> while also not escaping d- from fathers. Yes. Uh, they both feature a father trying to kill his twin children. Only one succeeds. Um, they both feature characters communicating telepathically with each other. And they both feature characters later played by Ewan McGregor. <laughs> so those are, those are the similarities that I noticed. Very nice. Let's go through the cast and crew, and then we'll talk about our our uh, thoughts on the film. But director, obviously, Stanley Kubrick, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Clockwork Orange, Doctor Strange Love, or How We Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, Lolita, Spartacus, good stuff all around. Mm-hmm. Um, Eyes Wide Shut. I owe it a rewatch, but it's probably still not great. AI? <laughs> no, I'm not even going to count AI. Writer was Diane Johnson. That was the co-writer with Stanley. Uh, this was her only screenwriting credit, but she also has a novel that was adapted into the 2003 feature Divorce, which I have not seen, but those are her only two credits on IMDb. Uh, the novel was written by Stephen King. This is only the second feature adaptation of his work after Carrie, but we'll hit a lot of these as we move forward. Obviously, the 80s and 90s saw a lot of adaptations of King's work yeah. <laughs> as TV movies and as uh, theatrically l- released feature films. Uh, The music we said before was Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind. Uh, They composed music for Clockwork Orange earlier. They composed the Tron theme. Yeah. In the first Tron movie. They have a credit, obviously, in features like Ready Player One, which sample from The Shining. And uh, Wendy Carlos specifically composed the Peter and the Wolf album with Weird Al Yankovic that I enjoyed very much as a kid. Uh, DP here was John Alcott, who was amazing. He did Clockwork Orange and Barry Lyndon, which is probably like one of the most amazingly shot movies. Right, all natural light. Uh, if not super interesting, but he will be back later this year lensing Terror Train. <laughs> okay. <laughs> interesting <laughs> interesting double feature. Uh, Jack Nicholson was Jack Torrance here. You know him from this, probably. Uh, Easy Rider, Chinatown, Cuckoo's Nest, Batman. Um, that's Jack Nicholson. You know Jack Nicholson. Shelley Duvall was Wendy Torrance. Mm-hmm. She'll be Olive Oil in Popeye later this year. Yeah. It's a hell of a year for her with Wendy Torrance and Olive Oil. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, one more celebrated than the other. I love both of them. Maybe I, equally. I, I She was the only person who could ever play Olive Oil. She was born to play that character yeah. for sure. Um, She was in Altman's Three Women with Sissy Spacek and Janice Rule is another favorite of mine. I like her in uh, Roxanne. She's got a very small part, but uh, she's uh, Steve Martin's like good friend in that movie. Yeah, I like her as the mom in Frankenweenie also, mm. which is a short, I guess. Uh, she's also Dame Pansy in Time Bandits. Yeah. And uh, she was the creator of a children's series, Shelley Duvall's Bedtime Stories, which is a lot I of fun. I loved those. You have it on DVD, right? I, d- I don't think I do, but I... I, think I remember you did I, at one point. I I don't know. I I think I remember watching them as a kid. I think I watched at least one with you, and I thought it was from a DVD. Oh no! You know what? I'm thinking of the Storyteller. Oh yeah, I definitely had DVD of Storytellers. But yeah, I didn't I'm, have. I'm confusing the two. Yeah, they, I mean, there's some there's similar types of shows, uh, but I definitely watched these as a kid because I vividly remember many episodes of this show, and it was great. Yeah. At least to my very young self it was great <laughs> i don't know i haven't seen it <laughs> haven't since. given it a rewatch lately uh danny lloyd played danny here he does not have a lot of credits but he also had a cameo in the sequel to dr sleep or not the sequel to dr sleep the sequel dr. Sleep. dr sleep um he plays the guy at the baseball game who is like oh yeah you should see this kid he really mm-hmm. knows what he's doing 
Um, I was really surprised to see Jacob Tremblay take that small role. Yeah, and he's he's actually well, it's maybe the best I've seen I, from him. It's, it's I, I told my mom, don't watch this movie because yeah. of this one scene. Yeah. You will not be able to stomach it. it yeah. It's, it goes on for a long time, and it's very upsetting. Yeah. And and I think that's uh, one of the things that I did appreciate about Dr. Sleep is that it feels very much like a Stephen King book, which are, like, unapologetically brutal yeah. with those scenes. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to see, like, kids or animals murdered, then just don't go to see <laughs> a, Stephen a, King movie. a faithful adaptation of a Stephen King movie. Scatman Crothers was Halloran here. Um, he was Turkle in Cuckoo's Nest. Um, he's Mr. Bloom in Kick the Can, which is Spielberg's Twilight Zone segment. Mm-hmm. He's Hong Kong Fooey. Yep, I got that on here. Don't worry. <laughs> he's the voice of Hong Kong Fooey. He's nice. also the voice of Jazz yeah. from Transformers. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Another, another connection. <laughs> um, maybe that's how it happened. He did bring the Transformer here. Oh, my God. He was Dexter Jones in Zapped. Oh, man. We're going to get to Zap soon, right? Yeah, 82? 82. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and he will be back for Bronco Billy later this year, so we get more Scatman right away. We're very excited about that. Uh, again, today would be his 110th birthday. Uh, Barry Nelson was Ullman. You know him as Jimmy Bond from mm-hmm. that Climax episode. Yeah. <laughs> he was the very first person to p- portray James Bond about 11 years before Connery. Yeah, what? yeah, somewhere in there. It's like... 54 to 62 so eight years before but yeah so he was uh the first james bond he was an american named jimmy bond and it was adapted for a television series called climax but it was casino royale it was casino it was royale the story was the story of yeah casino that's royale. which is the first james bond story um the first one that was written i didn't recognize many of his other credits so i'm just going to go with that but uh it's worth checking out uh for trivia purposes i wouldn't say it's phenomenal mm. Peter Lorre's fun as yeah. the chief, but uh, yeah. Uh, Philip Stone was Grady. He plays uh, Alexander DeLarge's father in Clockwork Orange. He's Captain Blumbert in uh, Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. He'll be Zogi the High Priest later this year in Flash Gordon. And apparently he's also in Thunderball. He plays one of the Spectre agents, Spectre number five in oh. Thunderball. So just well. one of those scenes with a bunch of henchmen sitting around a table. Yeah, I think I think that's like the 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 famous one where he's got the chair that sends the guy down into the flaming pit. Right, that uh, Doctor Evil famously parodied. Joe Turkle was Lloyd. Uh, he played Doctor Eldon Tyrell in yeah. uh, uh, Blade Runner. Right, probably his most like like noticeable. Other than this, other yeah. than playing the bartender is like yeah Tyrell. Um, and he also worked uh, with Kubrick previously as tiny and the killing and private pierre arnaud in paths of glory Anne jackson played the doctor the pediatrician she was in folks <laughs> with one f in 1992 <laughs> <laughs> not related to the Psych. one we've reviewed uh tony burton was durkin larry durkin uh he plays wells you in oh. assault on precinct 13 um and the he, john carpenter assault uh yes okay and uh he's also apollo's trainer in rocky's one through six but i don't think he's in the creed movies but he's in all the ones that have rocky in the title david baxt played forest ranger one that's the first guy that she gets a hold of um he plays batman's dad in the 1989 batman movie nice uh the one that joker kills spoiler alert uh you knew batman's dad dies (laughs) what he must be devastated uh manning redwood which is an awesome name manning redwood plays forest ranger number two 
and he how played, apt yeah exactly uh he plays bob conley in view to a kill he's uh i think it was general miller in never say never again i just have general miller here but i'm pretty general sure general mills was, <laughs> he was in two james bond movies uh with with one with roger moore and one with sean connery and uh he was also officer lowell in outland which i haven't seen another sean connery movie yeah it's a jumping on the the sci-fi craze i was gonna say is it looks saturn 3e it's very saturn 3e it's it's sean connery is a uncorruptible cop who's been put onto this mining colony where there's a huge drug problem and is he holding a shotgun on the poster yeah okay peter boyle is like the head of this drug ring and the previous peter boyle is the head of a drug ring yeah but he did the same thing in Where the Buffalo Roam, and it's in your top three. <laughs> okay, that's that's a different kind of head of a. Dr- okay, fine, but, fine, you win. <laughs> but but Connery doesn't want to play ball because uh, he's not corruptible, and so they plan to kill him. Yeah. Well, that sounds worth checking out at the very least, eh. or not. I'm getting an early thumbs down on that one. I I, I have a problem with it, and it's <laughs> it's like. It really says a lot about me as a person, and I'm not proud of it. The problem is that he's not wearing as few clothes as he does in yeah, Zardoz. Yeah. No, he he has a telephone call with his son, and his son is really fat and kind of gross. And it's just like, I love your son. It's just like, mm. That's enough <laughs> for you to be like, never watch this movie, anyone. It's just like, like, this is his son? This is this like guy's son? Have you seen Sean Connery's son? Luckily... Richard does not have children. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, if my kids are fat, I'm never going to call them. <laughs> or tell them I love them. Just, yeah, you it, love that? <laughs> it's just a weird, a weird film choice. Okay, well, unfortunately for, for me, and now I have to see it, so thanks a lot. The Shining is great, though. Oh, I wanted to mention one more cast member. Sure. Because I want to see. Uh, Who do I we mean, got? Uh, Barry Denon. Barry Denon. Uh, I will do one of his imitate one of his most famous characters. Oh God! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, is he uh, a whale in something? <laughs> was he uh, a luck dragon? No, <laughs> no, really. I'm not. No. My voice is all messed up, so I'm probably not doing it right. He's Chamberlain. Who's in, Chamberlain? The Dark Crystal. Oh, What's the Dark Crystal? okay. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. I don't know that character. He's one of the Skeksis. Well, I assume that much. <laughs> he's the most famous Skeksis. He's the one who's horrible because he thinks he's trying to help, and he's just the worst at it. I wasn't too far off with the luck dragon, I think. <laughs> no, that's. I, I think that's... I, 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 I was at least in the realm of puppets. <laughs> yeah. I guess I, guess I, I, I just the, 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 no, no Dark Crystal fans here. I don't like the Dark Crystal, actually. I've heard that the Netflix show is very well received. I could go without seeing another episode of it. <laughs> but uh, Jack seems to like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I've never been a Dark Crystal fan. I think it was because when uh, when it first got put on for me, someone was like, oh, this is exactly like The Labyrinth. No. And I was like, I love The Labyrinth. Let's watch it. Yeah. And I was like, this is not like The Labyrinth. It is not. Like, other it than there's puppets me. in it. It's... When I was a kid and I saw this movie, it was like, it, it wasn't scary because it was a scary movie. It was scary because they are legitimately terrifying creature designs oh yeah absolutely <laughs> although it was cool to see them in person at that the muppet show they did at the oh yeah that exhibit was awesome what, what was the what's that place called uh the skirball museum there you go yeah skirball yeah 
Yeah. Did we have any other comments we wanted to make on The Shining specifically? I feel like we talked a lot about it as we were I, going through. I love it. I, I love it. Well, let's just do our ups and downs in our letter boxes <laughs> then. All right. Uh, up or down, Jessica? I'll give it an up. I'll give it a solid up. Okay. It's a it's a it's also a solid up from me. Yes. It is up there. That's three ups. Good job. <laughs> Kubrick, I know you've just been waiting for our approval <laughs> posthumously. You've got it. All right. Jess, where's this going letterbox wise? Number one. Richard, where's this going? Oh boy. Number two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I think I have to give it number one. I love really okay. I, I really love Empire Strikes Back, but this movie is just so amazing. I've seen it in the theaters several times, uh, and I I never stop liking it. Uh, it's just really great. Everything about this movie is amazing. It is so beautifully and competently shot and designed and acted. The acting is incredible. Like there, I. There isn't a flaw to this movie. It is a perfectly crafted movie. Yeah. I, th- I think, honestly, you you get a lot more control over the performances when you limit most of the story to three characters. When when it's like literally just three people in, an, in a huge empty building right. by themselves. Limited locations, limited characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it, it, he has painstakingly crafted every element in this movie to perfection. But uh, yeah, for me, it's also it has to be number one. I think uh, Kubrick is still, in my mind, probably unparalleled. Like, the greatest working directors right now just, like, desperately want someone to compare them to Kubrick. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, Chris Nolan is just obsessed with being the new Kubrick. Yeah. (laughs) And he's not. No. He's not the new Kubrick. But he really, really desperately wants to be. And and I think that's the biggest compliment you can pay to Kubrick is that the most respected directors right now just wish that someone would confuse them for Kubrick. And... uh, and this is why this movie is why because he does stuff like this and it's just incredible and there's not a frame that you would change and it's just actually there's there's one thing i might change i really don't like the font for the opening title with the light blue the light aqua blue, blue narrow font let i don't know it's just i just don't that is the one thing i would change it does uh, and this is gonna sound like reaching but i do think it's supposed to just be disorienting that you're just like <laughs> why why does it look like that what is I, happening what am i going into i don't know poor poor graphic design is just just for the sake of being disorienting seems like a bad choice yeah well we loved this movie and you will too, listener. If you haven't seen The Shining, then check it out, please. If my only complaint of the whole movie is the font choice and color, mm-hmm. yeah. that's pretty good. And they used, um, there's a couple shots from them driving up to the hotel that get used in Dr. Sleep. I think there's, um, but they did some kind of post-conversion on the shot to make it look like nighttime. Yeah. But the, they have that same shot moving over the lake. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the same shot. Um, but it's cool. And I think there's even one of the shots of the car driving up the road towards the hotel that they mm-hmm. used. And, and, I'm, and I'm not saying Dr. Sleep is anywhere near this movie. No. Uh, I, but I, I did, I did, I did think it was okay. And, uh, I'm curious what the director's cut that comes out in a couple, a uh, couple weeks will be. I, uh, and I like, uh, Mike Flanagan, right? As the director. Yeah, Mike Flanagan, uh, he did Oculus. He did the haunting of Hill house, Gerald's game. I was talking with uh, my editor at work and because uh, Scott Derrickson just dropped out of Doctor Strange 2. And uh, we, we both think that 
uh, Flanagan would be an, a really great choice to come back to that, uh, to take over that sequel. Because I, I liked some of the creative decisions he made with this one. I also thought that it was an interesting but it works choice to recast the wendy and jack characters with just people who mm. look similar similar and can do the same performances but not to try and be like an exact duplicate yeah. or do it like the guy playing jack isn't doing a jack nicholson impression no. and and it, they didn't try to cg jack nicholson in there right. or shelly duvall and the 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 girl that's playing the Shelley Duvall part doesn't look particularly like Shelley Duvall. She sounds like her, But she her, sounds exactly like her. And uh, they even, like, recreate some scenes from the first movie in mm-hmm. the second movie. Right. But with the new actors. And I think it, it all fits together really well. Yeah. Uh, the the guy playing DeCaloran's character was like... Yeah, he was yeah. great. I, I believed that those people were the people they were supposed to be without it calling attention to the, to it. Yeah, I, and the in the miniseries, too, the guy playing Dick Halloran is great in that. Um, and uh, that's another difference between the the movie and, and the, the miniseries and book version is that they make a bigger point of the fact that, that Danny's power is much stronger than most people's power. Um, so when he sends this message to, uh, to Dick that he needs help at the hotel, like, it's so powerful that he's sitting and eating at a restaurant and people think he just had a heart attack and his like nose is gushing blood because uh, Danny has such a power to send this message that it's like shocks even him, someone else with the power that this kid is able to yell so loudly to him for help. Do you think it's weird that if Tony is future Danny that he calls his mom Mrs. Torrance? Well, he doesn't want to call her mom. It would give him away. Ah. But yeah, at the end of the book and miniseries, we're watching Danny graduate from high school, I guess. And uh, we see the the Tony vision that Danny's been having the whole time is the actual person playing a Danny as an 18-year-old mm. accepting his diploma and then turning to like thank his family in the audience. But instead of it being a talking finger, it's an actual person. Who is appearing it's and disappearing? A finger is not accepting his diploma. No, oh. <laughs> it's just that's what it means. Yeah, it got it. adult Danny is actually just a severed finger. Um, I think that's everything for this one. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show, please. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you'll consider joining us next time when we'll be discussing Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown, and Don't Come Back, which IMDb summarizes. That was the rest of the title. You should come back. You could even skip the next episode and come back. But yeah. just please come back. Maybe skip right to uh, Hollywood Nights, I think, <laughs> is the one after. Uh, which IMDb summarizes like so. Charlie Brown and his friends travel to Europe as exchange students. No, Charlie Brown and some of his friends. <laughs> and we leave you now with the trailer. There's not going to be a trailer for this. We'll see you next time, folks. <laughs> I'll leave. I'll if there's a trailer, you're about to hear it. And if there's not, I'll find something Charlie Brown related. Maybe the 
the just play the peanut the, just play the peanut song from kill bill when they're fighting the crazy 88 because they keep calling that guy charlie brown or, or just just uh cut pieces of the charlie brown movie together in your own trailer but have the the narrator voice is just the wah 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 <laughs> <laughs> in a wah 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 <laughs> Um, we leave you now with something. Good grief. It's Charlie Brown and the Hall Peanuts gang in another full-length feature cartoon called... Voyage, Charlie Brown! And don't come back! Wait until you see what happens to your favorite comic strip characters when they pack up and fly to Europe to spend two weeks in France. But being in a foreign country isn't always easy. Ooh, licorn! It means trying to learn a new language. Good doll! And adapting to local customs. Cheese, sausages, soup for breakfast. We're in France, so we have to adjust. Meeting new and interesting friends. I am pure, and I am very pleased to meet you. I wish to welcome you to my country. And traveling on some really strange-looking boats. Bon voyage, Charlie Brown. And don't come back. It's the movie that has everything you want to see. Mystery. Ah! Dancing. Danger. Ah! Excitement. Sportsmanship. And of course, romance. It's the biggest, the best, the most exciting Charlie Brown of all time. Log 30. It's Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown. Now don't go over there to Europe and embarrass us. And don't come back. <laughs>